And we're live. Welcome. I'm Zach Miller, Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief. I'm joined by Larry Diamond, co-founder and CEO at Zip. Um, do you call it Zipco or Zip? I like Zip. It's simpler, but, you know, the, the technical business yeah. name Zip is, is a very tight. Okay. And this is the first Tearsheet Live session that we're doing. And so, Larry, um, you're our esteemed guest. Um, Want to tell us a little bit about Zip before we jump in? Yeah, sure. So... It's actually our 10th birthday Amazing. this year. So uh, we started in June of 20 of 2013. Uh, and, you know, we're really... You still got the fire? Still, I know. I've still got the fire. I've still, I'm still wearing my zip T-shirt. I pretty much wear it every day. Uh, got a little bit grayer over the years. But, um, no, the passion's still there because at the end of the day, I think we can build a, a really strong business um, around the world of financial services, doing things right, doing things better. Our, our purpose is creating a world where people live fearlessly today, knowing they're in control of tomorrow. And the idea is that when people use and interact with our products and they click our button, they know that we have their backs. Yes, we started 10 years ago in the world of consumer finance. Other, others call it buy now, pay later. And uh, a journey that's taken us from Australia, Sydney, all over the world, and now now currently in uh, America. And, you know, over the last 10 years, growing from, you know, zero to 12 12 million customers. And what I like to say is I've probably had 10 jobs in those last 10 years too. So it's been a, uh, an interesting and enjoyable learning experience. Amazing. And we have a lot of entrepreneurs sitting in your seat um, on the podcast that talk about those 10 different jobs. And one of which is like taking out the garbage. They normally, I, I've heard that. Yeah. Times. <laughs> well, I think that's interesting. You mentioned sort of the geographic um, exposure started in Australia, expanded to a lot of different countries, a handful of countries. And I think it, it, it feels like you're in a process now of sort of focusing on the ones that are, that are higher value for you. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that process about expansion and then folk and focus? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, uh, when the, the, the story we sort of like to tell just, just to kind of, you know, sum up why we, why we love the space in which we play is that, uh, the story goes, Naomi, um, was going through a checkout on a bicycle hipster store, you know, in, in 2013, 10 years ago, it's around Christmas time, and she's she's looking to buy a bicycle for for her son, and she has a few options at the checkout. Right, option one, she can check out and put it on a credit card, and of course, what happens 25 days after statement, you get charged, and you know credit cards are all designed about high revolving, high interest balances, right, where it takes decades to sort of pay off. Option two is she could put on a her debit card, but it's it was a busy time. She's buying presents for friends and family, food for the table, or she could select Zip and basically pay in three equal installments interest-free. And so when she when she clicked our button and checked out in December of 2013, we sort of realized the magic of the of the consumer finance model, this sort of triple win, mm -hmm. right? Win for the merchant who's able to, to get paid uh, up front. convert a browser, mm -hmm. exactly, um, into a paid customer, a win for the, you know, the customer and a, and a win for us. And so, you know, what we sort of realized there was, um, and she became much more loyal to us versus her bank and credit cards. You start to build an amazing re relationship with the customer. And so ultimately, that magic that we saw in Australia, helping not just big business, but small business get access to these financial tools, we realized technology has no borders. And after you know visiting Singapore in 2019 for Money 2020, really got the energy to say, well, if technology doesn't know any borders and... Uh, this, this can work in both the developed world, but equally the developing market. Uh, and so you saw us over the last few years expand into developed markets like the UK and America, but we also place bets in places such as 
Philippines, India, and 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 the Middle East, where where you can almost leapfrog um, decades of of old legacy financial infrastructure. And so, with that expansion, also came sort of uh, it, it feels like a reckoning this year. Um, can you talk about? I don't know if you use that word. That's my word, but um, it looks like yeah. you're, you're you're undergoing some asset sales now in some of those geographies to focus primarily. Yeah. On, on your core markets, maybe talk about that that process as an entrepreneur. Yeah, so we had product market fit, and uh, and we also had timing. Mm-hmm. Often timing is not in your control, but given what was happening in the financial system, uh, there was a big opportunity to do things better in all these markets. But uh, I, I like to say, in a parallel galaxy, uh, right now Zip has built this global global payments and our platform, platform, and we're just dominating. Yeah, but as we all. Um, saw the reckoning of interest rates, which happened very viciously, um, we had to adjust. And we had to focus on markets that were either profitable or had a near-term pathway to profitability. 90% of the enterprise value were in our core markets, right? Australia, New Zealand, uh, America, and, and, and Canada. And so we really made the difficult decision because we spun up some of the best fintech teams in all these markets, both through a mixture of organic and inorganic expansion. Um, we, we have, we've just actually finished saying goodbye to, to all of those rest of world markets. We've basically sold or um, exited those, those uh, markets and we're now exclusively focused on our core markets. Uh, and, you know, it's producing $8 billion, $8 to $10 billion in GMV per year. You know, last, last quarterly was, you know, we're doing about $180 million a, a quarter uh, and, you know, over 12 million customers have sort of joined us. So we've got a lot there to take care of and we've got a, a good business platform. And, and, I, and I love this story because it feels to me like a lot of the best um, innovation and inspiration for pay, buy now, pay later, or payments in general, I would say, came, comes from mm-hmm. Australia um, and exports throughout the rest of the world. And you yourself recently moved to the States. So maybe talk about your shift in focus uh, from the Australian New Zealand market to, to the US market, which, which feels like a pretty competitive market already. Yeah, true, true. Competitive, but also large and exciting. Uh, I'm personally enjoying the journey. I'm, you know, I've been running Zip, Zip globally uh, and started out, as you said, doing all the jobs from chief of janitorial services to customer service, product design, sales. And I think it's important as a leader to be able to inspect the detail and sort of understand it. And what happened over the last nine years is as a global uh, CEO, moved a little bit further away from the coalface. So it is exciting now moved to America last year to run the U.S. business as well and really getting stuck back into it. So I'm actually pretty pretty excited working on everything from user journeys, product sign-up, strategy, culture, leadership and uh, hiring. But I would say to your point around competition, first of all, the, the, the BNPL sector here is incredibly, even though it's very noisy, if you look at share of payments, it's only about 2% right. of a sort of $10 trillion dollar payments market. Right. Right, so it's got a long way to go. More mature markets like the Nordics, which have had BNPL for um, you know almost two decades now, twenty percent of of sort of the the e-commerce sector goes through buy now pay later. So we see it as incredibly early, and I think ultimately, um, if you're a product and technolo- technology led organisation, you listen to customers, you get feedback, you you rigorously experiment. Um, ultimately, our competition are the banking dinosaurs. Right, and and that gives me a lot of excitement, because they struggle both with the ways of working, uh, as well as legacy infrastructure. And so, as Zip, we can be fast, we can be speedy, and and sort of agile. So we've come in here, we've got a fantastic beachhead, we work with some fantastic brands, and ultimately we see about a hundred million Americans, um, you know, sort of under that 
FICO score of 670, who we believe are underserved um, by the by the banking community that we can make a real difference to. I like that. And I want to jump further into, I guess, what you can export from the Australian um, payments industry to, to the US. But before I do that, I, I want to go back to the 10 hats or 10 jobs that you had. Um, meeting an entrepreneur that's built a company the size of Zip um, and had that legacy of 10 years, like, in a way, is each one of those jobs, like, do you need to sort of remake yourself to be able to stay fresh and stay hungry? Individually, I'm talking about absolutely. as a manager, a- as a leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that the most important uh, character trait, particularly in a fast growth business, is just self-awareness. Where am I at? Where Where am I weak? What do I need to learn? And so that's what we encourage that's what I've encouraged myself to think that way, Pete, my partner. And so if you can do that, you can continuously adapt and work out, okay, what do we need? There were, there were five of us. We're all working around the table. We know everything that's going on. And then we move to sort of 30. Okay, now we have to create new roles. We have to split up roles. We have to hand over hats. Um, crumbs f- fall in between. And so the company almost breaks at all of these moments. Uh, and, and you can kind of decisively see those right in the beginning we're all product folk um then you've got to move into uh management i mean it's it's just phenomenal to see how i've personally changed over over those years and a guiding light is almost trying to find someone who's a little bit ahead of you not too far ahead right because at the end of the day there's no point going to someone five years you want someone who's almost about 18 months ahead of you um who, who has that experience to really help help guide us through and uh, as a mentor you're talking I'd about say, yeah, yeah, as a mentor, but equally, I would say, even a par- another business, mm-hmm. right? That is just a little bit because all the pain that you're going through, they've just done that 18, you know, 12, 12 months prior, which is because a lot of the things we're sort of learning on the fly, creating um, new processes, creating a product function that didn't exist when everyone's doing everything, to customer research teams, to forecasting, um, to codifying our principles and values, so we actually know. Who is a zipster and, and 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 who wants to be part of our our team? And so, um, and equally, I think you have to be incredibly mindful of if you do reach a ceiling, right? And I've always said that about myself. If I can't keep leveling up along the way, uh, then it might be my time to sort of step aside. Uh, and and we have seen zipsters come and go. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want to go on the journey. They haven't necessarily maybe got the the growth mindset and aren't willing to sort of evolve or move into different roles, but. Many have, and I think that's what kept has kept the, the energy and excitement in the team there along the way. It's almost like a different business every every year. Right. That's what I was that's what I was getting at. Um, I appreciate that. So I want to go back to the question about, um, I guess, benchmarking Australia versus the U.S. You know, BNPL mm-hmm. has higher adoption rates; it's more mature there. Um, are there similarities, or are there are there things that you're bringing with you uh, when you focus on the U.S. market from your learnings in Australia? Can you address that? Yeah, there's a, a, a huge amount. Uh, I, I would say, um, you know, a lot of, if you look at the different journeys, so so one is around um, the go-to-market strategy, right? I think a, a unique thing about uh, BNPL is it lives in this sort of decentralized, distributed world. You know, customers don't come up to the front door and sign up like the banks. The power has been they sign up at checkout at that moment of truth. And so how to build that distribution to drive flywheel acquisition 
um, you, you know, we sort of understand intimately and, uh, you know, a lot of that IP has come to the table. Um, similarly, on the underwriting and, and uh, collection side, how to talk to customers, how to underwrite customers, how to incentivize customers to sort of grow with you um, over time. We've also been able to... Um, sign up a merchant in Australia, bring them to the US. So we're getting a lot mm. of synergies, I would say, on on the sales front. And then finally, the people. We're sort of cross-pollinating our teams, both with local knowledge, who understand the local landscape, the type of customer set, but equally with the subject domain expertise from from uh, back, back, back home. And we've seen similar adoption. I would say that there's still, the awareness is still uh, growing over here in the U, US, Australia, one in three adults are using buy now, pay later, wow. right? And 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 the banks have had to respond. Uh, here, I think about forty percent have, have actually trialled it, uh, but you can just see the response coming from big banks, payment companies that they really see this product as the entry point to that financial re- relationship. It's simple, it's easy to understand, uh, it's on the side of customer, it's transparent, it pays back over one or two pay cycles, and so. This BNPL world, which sort of disrupted online retail, that then disrupted omni-channel retail, is now actually disrupting financial services and and banking. And this goes back to something you said in your introduction, Larry. Like, I just want to maybe double-click on this. Like, BNPL um, is a beachhead into creating relationships with customers and merchants, I guess. And it's it's the first of other um, other types of products or services that you can offer. Can you maybe Talk a little bit about that. So, like, because um, mm-hmm. because BNPL, as you said, it, it feels like it's 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 an enabler to to, to do more. Um, and you were careful in your introduction about Zip that not to introduce as a BNPL company. Can you explain why? Yeah. So, so I think BNPL is almost credit with credit with the training wheels. Uh, it's it's it, it it pays back over, you know, six weeks. Um, you pay it back over one or two pay cycles. There's no hangover with high high interest. No revolver. Um, and customers have, there's no revolver. And customers have really seen that. I think the banks have done a terrible job in financial budgeting, right? If you go and get a bank account or a credit card, there's just no tools there to really yeah. help you. And this becomes this sort of powerful, right, budgeting tool that everyone's gravitating towards. The sign-up is really easy. Uh, and and um, and so I think the adoption has been, you know, at checkout at that moment of truth. I no longer need to go into a bank and sort of sign up. I can do it right there at the checkout. Uh, and 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 so it sort of starts there. And but the beauty and why we love this space is payments almost becomes the access point to the relationship between us and the customer. And that's why we were so product centric and customer centric because every transaction. Well, that's an opportunity to talk to the customer, understand what they're looking for, the segmentation, how they think about their their financial world, and that's really informing how we're building out our our app. It, we st- it's, it starts at checkout, but ultimately we want them to be in the app. You know, and our mission is to be that first payment choice everywhere and and every day. I like that. So, I mean, clearly, what's happening stateside is is growing awareness of BNPL, and with that, um, you know, there's definitely talk about about regulation. Can you give us your perspective on on sort of how that's going to play out and, and and what BNPL will look like, say, next year or the year after from a regulatory point of view? Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we've we've always advocated for fit-for-purpose regulation. Uh, you know, ultimately, we do see ourselves as extending credit. 
Um, it's credit over a, a, a six-week period, and we're introducing products to provide slightly longer repayment terms um, for, for bigger ticket purchases. But ultimately, if you go and sign up for a mortgage, there's a certain amount of diligence the, the financier n- needs to do on you. If I go for a car loan, that's slightly different, less perhaps, a personal loan, a credit card, and then BNPL. And each of those has a very different credit limit associated with them, from millions of dollars to tens of thousands. Um, the average credit card in, in the US, you know, somewhere around five to eight grand. I can't remember the exact figures. Let's call it $8,000, whereas BNPL is in the hundreds, maybe a 1000 So, So therefore, we do advocate for fit-for-purpose regulation. Uh, And I think the journey that we're seeing the US go through is a very natural evolution of this new financial construct, which is to understand regulations meeting innovation and how do we create the right safeguards uh, in in place to ensure that customers use the product appropriately, don't get stuck and don't fall behind. So, you know, we we work closely with the CFPB. Um, We we, we actually work with WebBank with a federal banking charter Mm -hmm. that's allowing us to innovate around the credit products, make sure that customers have the right information before they sign up. We pull uh, soft, soft credit checks so we can look at the credit file. We also use alternative data uh, and all AI models, and we're also looking to add bank transactional data as well into the mix, which actually, this is one of the learnings that came from Australia. When we started ZIP 10 years ago, uh, we, we operated in a regulated credit environment. We, had, we, we started with a credit licence and as part of the requirements under the Credit Act in Australia is if someone signs up for credit and they tell you what their income and expenses is, you have to verify that what, that what they told you is true. Mm. You can't just assume it is. And so the only way to make that real time was to ingest bank transactional data. And this was open banking 10 years ago. And Pete said to me, is, is the other co-founder, there's no way anyone is going to put in their internet banking credentials. It's just not going to happen. I said, well, let's give it a shot. Let's see. And we would not be here having this conversation right. if we didn't get the right conversion rate there. And we actually built our business, not just with credit data, but with bank data, which is the holy grail for those that are less um, credit active, might be new to credit. That's really interesting. So I also want to talk about a differentiation as, as more players um, grow in the space. And you obviously have a two-sided marketplace with merchants and, and with customers. What, what's the zip pitch to say like, hey, you know, work with us? I guess they're not necessarily exclusive relationships, but like how, how do you position yourself vis-a-vis, you know, other players in the space? You're smiling. Yeah, it depends, <laughs> depends who we're pitching. I mean, look, I still do a lot of sales, mm-hmm. so uh, depends on the angle. But I would say that, I mean, if we just take a step back and we look at the emergence of the BNPL industry, you know, who are the six largest credit card issuers in America today? That's really for the customer of yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, so who's going to be the next six for the customer of tomorrow? And that's where we see there is a world where multiple BNPL players can actually coexist. And we sort of define BNPL as you, you have to live at the checkout. You have to live in this distributed world because you're seeing different models evolve. Some are just creating a pain for form factor on their existing um, financial uh, app or, or so to speak. But you have to be embedded and you have to be um, distributed. And I, I don't think many companies have built that into the DNA of the organisation, working deeply with sort of merchants and, and, the, and the distribution. But look, ultimately for us, um, the way that we like to explain it is, you know, first of all, when you zip a transaction, 
We want that so that you can spread spread the cost of that over time responsibly, be that short or or long duration. Uh, and so really we can fit in, in many different categories. Our underwriting is we've got a fantastic chief risk officer, fantastic division um, that's really been built up over, over 10 years. Started as a rules-based engine 10 years ago when we just used intuition and traditional consumer finance rules to now AI, machine learning models, champion challenger, ingesting new and exciting data sets that allow you to be to provide that accessible credit to a much larger population. Uh, and, and so I think those those are probably the, the big pieces. And we are flexible on pricing in the sense that we've got, you know, we've got customer income and we have merchant income, which means we can actually work with, with a much broader category set uh, depending on the gross profitability of certain, certain verticals. Uh, and then finally, we don't have all the answers. You know, when we signed up Amazon in Australia a few years ago, we did not have what they needed. We didn't right but you sit down i'm an ex-business analyst and we show them at the end of the day with product and tech you can actually do anything and you know they believed in us and we threw 60 engineers onto the project Mm -hmm. and delivered the experience over 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 there so we are really a product and tech shop at the end of the day i that's a question i have so how how often do you do that obviously amazon you know biggest retailer in the world but um (laughs) how much is custom built around around merchant needs you know, a lot of the today we have made it a lot more um, modular, mm-hmm. easy to connect to, right? So we went live with uh, Best Buy last year. Uh, the integration is important because ultimately uh, that customer journey, making sure it's seamless, uh, payments are becoming invisible. How we deliver those experiences, but you know, over the last couple of years we've built some fantastic partnerships on the go-to-market side with players such as Stripe, Adyen. Uh, work with Fiserv as well, some of the e-commerce platforms uh, that really allow you to go live in sort of days or weeks. Uh, and, and we were the first to pioneer in the US actually using virtual card technology for, for integration. So rather than a full RESTful API integration, we can just generate a one-time virtual card, send it behind the scenes in the gateway and process that others have since got. And that, and that you know, massively cut down integration. But we, but we don't stop there. That's sort of phase one. Go mm-hmm. live, drive volume, drive incrementality, new customers and merchants see that. But there's so much more to do. Uh, and so we'll talk to them around, could be an in-store experience, other user journeys. So I think it's, you know, our first product was for merchant. Merchant got us customer and we keep that in vain as, you know, with our strategic partners. Got it. Uh, I think we have time for one last question. And um mm-hmm. You mentioned before your flexibility around pricing because you're monetizing both sides of the relationship. What are some of the levers in the business, in the BNPL business, specifically for Zip? Um, where, where do you find the levers for, to, to enable new growth? New growth. Uh, well, I mean, so, so one question is on pricing and revenue, but in terms of new growth, BNPL really we see as embedded finance, consumer finance. It started the world, it started life out, I'd say, in the fashion, apparel, and, and footwear space, mm-hmm. uh, where, where the average order value might be one, $150 to $200. You pay it back nearly over six weeks. But we've actually started to see it enter many other verticals, right, and, and also uh, many different age groups. And so we're starting to see it enter travel, auto parts, healthcare, health services, uh, We've even integrated into banks before as well who are looking to offer this new 
an exciting product to their to their experiences. So we we're looking at new and existing verticals. We're looking at new and deep partnerships, and ultimately um, we see ourselves as a financial services player. So you're not going to see us necessarily build this you know whiz bang all shopping app. It's about building financial services for for our target audience to ultimately drive more and more engagement with them and own a greater share of their wallet over time. Some some customers want to pay later. Other customers might not be eligible to pay later or don't want to pay for this thing on credit. And we can service all of those experiences. Larry, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for joining us on the first Tearsheet Live today. Yeah, no, th- thanks so much, Zach. That was a great chat.